Welcome to Slow Stories. I'm Rachel Schwartzman, the founder of Connected Editorial and the host and creator of this podcast. For those of you just joining in, Slow Stories is a series that deep dives into the rising slow content movement. In each of these episodes, I interview brand builders, entrepreneurs, and creative professionals who share what slow content means in the context of what they're building and why slowing down and creating thoughtful stories is more important than ever. This episode begins with a reading from Jenny Edgar, who shares one of her favorite short stories. Here's more from Jenny. My name is Jenny Edgar. I'm a fiction writer and an artist and the founder of So Textual, which is a literary community on Instagram. And something that recently made me slow down was a friend's encouragement to reread the books and stories that have had a lasting resonance on me. I'd like to share my most favorite story, In a Tub, by Amy Hempel. My heart, I thought it stopped, so I got in my car and headed for God. I passed two churches with cars parked in front, then I stopped at the third because no one else had. It was early afternoon, the middle of the week. I chose a pew in the center of the rows, Episcopal or Methodist, it didn't make any difference. It was as quiet as a church. I thought about the feeling of the long missed beat and the tumble of the next ones as they rushed to fill the space. I sat there in the high brace of quiet and stained glass, and I listened. At the back of my house, I can stand in the light from the sliding glass door and look out onto the deck. The deck is planted with marguerites and succulents and red clay pots. One of the pots is empty. It is shallow and broad and filled with water like a bird bath. My cat takes naps in the window box. Her gray chin is powdered with the iridescent dust from butterfly wings. If I tap on the glass, the cat will not look up. The sound that I make is not food. When I was a girl, I sneaked out at night. I pressed myself to hedges and fitted the shadows of trees. I went to a construction site near the lake. I took a concrete mixing tub, slid it to the shore, and sat down inside it like a saucer. I would push off from the sand with one stolen oar and float, hearing nothing, for hours. The bird bath is shaped like that tub. I look at my nails in the harsh bathroom light. The scare will appear as a ripple at the base. It will take a couple of weeks to see. I lock the door and run a tub of water. Most of the time you don't really hear it. A pulse is a thing that you feel, even if you are somewhat quiet. Sometimes you hear it through the pillow at night but I know that there is a place where you can hear it even better than that. Here is what you do. You ease yourself into a tub of water. You ease yourself down. You lie back and wait for the ripples to smooth away. Then you take a deep breath and slide your head under and listen for the playfulness in your heart. Thank you so much again to Jenny for sharing. Again, the story she read is In a Tub from the Collected Stories of Amy Hempel. Now here's my conversation with Nicole Caputo. Don't judge a book by its cover. Instead, look closely and let it take you deeper into the story. Nicole Caputo understands how to make this sentiment a reality, and she is translating her dual passion for art and writing into her role as the creative director at Catapult and Counterpoint Press, and as the co-founder of She Designs Books. 
While the relationship between design and storytelling becomes increasingly important in our crowded, often visually heavy, digital landscape, Nicole has risen to the occasion in making cover art that is in service of the larger story. Part of this approach stems from Nicole's resolve to lead with empathy for the writer, for the reader, and for the process itself. Empathy, coupled with acceptance, has also played a role in Nicole's own process and pace, both online and off. As she continues to navigate how to show up for her professional community online, a recent personal health challenge has also influenced Nicole to make space to live, work, and create away from her devices and closer to the people that matter most. Nicole's story of creativity and courage is a powerful reminder to live with intention. And in this interview, she spoke more about the opportunity that comes from pursuing quiet moments offline, how slow content has inspired her creative process, and what stories she hopes will come out of this transformational period. It's hard to find the right words for how much I took away from this interview. So without giving too much more away, here's my conversation with Nicole Caputo. My name is Nicole Caputo. In my profession, I'm involved in reading books and designing and art directing their covers and also the other visual elements we use throughout the publishing cycle. But I also have a love of the arts, of ceramics and illustration, textile design, cooking, interior design, learning about and mentoring others and amplifying their work. And, you know, as a designer, I learned early on during my education at SVA that you are capable of designing anything. And that really has opened my minds up to a lot of exploration. And it's always evolving for me. I'm always learning new things and trying out new crafts. Um, more recently, in November of 2019, I was actually diagnosed with a serious illness and this opportunity has really enabled me to reflect upon not only my own mortality and life decisions of the past, which luckily I don't have too many regrets there, but to look at what decisions I want to make for my future and what I really value most. And one wish was to be surrounded by animals. So <laughs> thanks to that experience and also needing a safe place to live during this pandemic that we're all moving through, my husband and my dog and I recently fulfilled the dream of purchasing a small house on a few acres in the Catskills. And it's bordered by about 20,000 acres of forever wild forest. And so now I can pursue on my own land some conservation efforts and the nurturing of a really biodiverse ecosystem. And uh, I also get to utilize my creativity in the garden, which has brought great joy and solace, especially during this time. And you know, I can often be found talking to giant brush piles <laughs> to see if anyone wants to pop their heads out to say hi. We have quite a lot of wildlife here. And uh, I really look to nature for inspiration and quiet and hope and wonder. Wow. Thank you for painting that lovely picture in my mind. Those are the things that really kind of ground us during times of crisis. And before we kind of get into talking about your role in storytelling, I would love to have you share a story, whether it's an article or a poem or a particular book you're enjoying and that made you slow down or kind of reconsider how you approach your own sort of creative practice as a designer too. Yeah, this is such a great question. So I am currently reading Wintering by Catherine May. And the subtitle is The Power of Rest and Retreat in Difficult Times. I think the publisher actually just repackaged this. It's probably a backlist title and extremely good idea to do so because we could all use this book right now. It's at the forefront of my mind. 
So here's a particular passage that I found really beautiful and inspiring and really encompasses and answers many of the questions and ideas I've been reflecting upon lately as we move through these times that we're in. Plants and animals don't fight winter. They don't pretend it's not happening and attempt to carry on living the same lives that they lived in summer. They prepare, they adapt, they perform extraordinary acts of metamorphosis to get them through. Winter is a time of withdrawing from the world, maximizing scant resources, carrying out acts of brutal efficiency and vanishing from sight, but that's where the transformation occurs. Winter is not the death of a life cycle, but it's crucible. You know, yeah, it's so beautiful. And there's so many other lines from this book I could have spoken about today. Um, as it relates to design, you know, I think you will often hear designers speak of kind of imposter syndrome, that they need to be fully engulfed with a plate spilling over with projects out of fear that they may forget how to actually do their jobs. You know, and I think I've had both of those thoughts. I've kind of moved through them as a designer. You know, I've been doing this for a while now. But I did have a thought recently. I sort of wonder, you know, will it be too much? Is there a point where life's challenges will get in the way of my creativity? And, you know, this question has really been answered this year. And I think it's, you know, created a lot of growth for me. You know, as I was saying, I was dealing with my own health challenges and working actually while undergoing cancer treatment, you know, since last November of 2019. And I also have a family member who's seriously ill. The pandemic hit, you know, I had various other losses that I won't even get into. And I think what really comes across in this paragraph from Catherine is this deep acceptance, you know, this ability to adapt to what is currently happening. And for me, it has been this acceptance of this phase of my life is just being a part of my overall story and really embracing this and going with it and knowing deep down that a transformation within me is happening and that I'm actually becoming better as a person and even as a designer because there's more freedom for creative thinking when fears like this or just faulty ideas can be cast aside. I've always felt that creativity is definitely a vehicle for healing, but experiencing a year like this where we really need to understand our individual role and in keeping each other safe. And I've just been thinking about how it can be this tangible way to heal us. And I think for me, at least with slow stories, it's really been that tangible element of slowing down, disconnecting more and, and reconnecting more with stories that kind of fuel our growth away from the noise. So that resonates with me. Yes. Beautiful. As I mentioned before we started recording, you know, your work is gorgeous and I'd love to have you share a little bit more about what came first. Was it an interest in storytelling or an interest in art? Both interests really came about at the same time. As a child, I was pretty shy and a bit introverted and I spent a lot of time out in the woods <laughs> creating my own stories. And I also spent a lot of time reading books and enjoying not only what's between words and the and the concepts and stories, but the tactile quality of books, taking notice not only of their illustrations and the cover, but also the materials used and the book as a whole and how each element was thought through in service of the content. So I think those two things sort of bloomed at the same time for me at a really young age. And the other part is just like, you know, I always had a strong sense of empathy for others. And I think empathy is a really key ingredient within design thinking. And I was a kid and I'm also an adult with 
just enormous feelings, <laughs> which I've learned over time to use in a positive way for the most part. And I think this has helped me much as a designer, and especially when reading, reflecting upon an author's work and their inspiration in writing the book, and also creating the faces of books for the audience meant to read them. I think empathy is really what creates the fusion or bridge from the content of each book or story to what is translated into the design itself and what will reach the reader or, you know, the intended audience. I think that's something that's so critical in an age where empathy can be stripped away by distraction that we see because things are just so accessible. We really forget to kind of appreciate that process and that privilege, I think, to read books and to engage in stories because everything is just so available, if that makes sense. And I'm curious too, were you ever kind of involved in the editorial side or like what is your relationship with writing? Do you have one? I do have one actually, and I don't really talk about it that often, but I had actually been in school for creative writing for a number of years while also taking fine arts classes. I went to the School of Visual Arts for graphic design. This was pre that period. And I do enjoy writing on my own. I haven't really done so professionally or been part of an editorial department professionally. I do write from time to time just about design process, but yeah, it's it's another sort of avenue that I'd actually like to go down in the future. Yeah, it seems like you have a lot of material to work with in terms of just being upstate and surrounded by all this nature and life. When that time comes, let me know. I will be an avid reader. I think too, it's probably been very interesting to see the shift in how people kind of perceive book design and, you know, what role it plays in creating awareness between authors and readers. And, you know, as I've been saying a little bit throughout this conversation, exploring storytelling in this very interconnected age has also kind of revealed that we're operating what really is an unsustainable pace. And so let's talk about that a little bit. You know, how have you developed a healthy relationship with pace? I'm sure, you know, it's changed a lot, but what is your kind of take on the role of that in the overarching creative process? Yes, it's another really wonderful question. And developing a healthy relationship with pace is ever evolving for me, but I am definitely teachable and more open than I have ever been to looking at my own pace, especially over these past few years and right now. The kinds of things that I say yes to or spend my time on is something that I that I question. And I also question if they're aligned with what I value most. You know, what am I putting on my plate? What am I expending my energy on? And in order to do that most effectively for me, I start my day usually by spending some time reading and also doing some meditation. I walk the property line and I pay attention to where I am and I listen and I spend some time in the moment. I have a few trail cameras on the property and I bring them in and spend some time looking through the previous night's footage. And in the warm weather, I literally start my day with a coffee and then I'll go out to the garden in my pajamas and I'll garden a bit. And in that space that I carve out in the morning, I'm able to pay attention to any intuitive ideas I have about life and about my projects. And I just feel like I'm a little bit more aligned. I've kind of stepped off the hamster wheel that can start literally the second I open my eyes if I don't engage in this kind of quiet time in the morning. And I think, you know, nearly every book I work on really reminds me to value process over performance. You know, we have fairly tight deadlines in the book design publishing world, and they've become tighter over time. But 
If you try to skimp on a part of the design process that works best for your own creativity, the time you need to put in to get to a desired result can actually extend further. So for me, for instance, I'm a really careful reader and it is the primary part of my process. I read very slowly. I take my time. I write notes. I sketch by hand during this part of the process. I try to connect dots throughout the manuscript and engage in thinking about the concept. And that usually ends up being the longest part of my entire design process. And, you know, when a design can come together with ease at the close, I have done my job in putting in the thought in at those early stages. And I think that's also really appreciated by, you know, some of the authors that I work with. Yeah, I would imagine. I mean, that's the thing that I think initially captures a lot of people's attention before they've even had a chance to understand the story. Is there an unexpected challenge that you think book designers face that might be worth mentioning? Hmm. Unexpected challenges that we face. Um, I think there are challenges within the structure of publishing that Well, it depends on how you look at them, really. But I think for designers, everybody sort of knows, every human kind of knows subjectively what they like to look at. They they know their favorite colors, you know, they're informed by their own histories. And so I think we as designers are often sifting through kind of information to make sure that we are kind of aligning the designs with the content and also with the positioning how the publishing house wants to position the book. And I think sometimes designers can get into some conversations with the marketing teams about, you know, positioning. And that is a time to sort of, again, sift through that information, find the points that really make sense, not take things personally, and also advocate and be able to speak intelligently about some of the decisions that were made because it is a really collaborative process between design and the other departments and keeping that in mind that we're all sort of working towards the same goal. People can be very passionate, especially about certain titles. And so, you know, really making sure that you're not taking it personally and finding that constructive criticism that can really help ideally get this book into the right hands is, is our goal. Tall order, one that's worth fulfilling, I'm sure. Your work runs the gamut. It's all so visually striking. But is there a particular project that you think really challenged your work or your approach in a productive way? Well, there's a couple that come to mind. I guess the first one that came to mind is a book of stories by Paulina Flores called Humiliation. And here we had this incredible title uh, that was very long and everybody wanted it shown enormously across the cover, but it's a long word. And so, you know, we get into that kind of technical aspect of how do I show this long word in the largest way possible. And so working with different compositions on on how to achieve that and working with this long title. And I think the real challenge came for this project. The real challenge was that I had sent it out to a freelance designer and she did some amazing work, but the team just wasn't on board with the directions. And I had almost no time left and we were coming up against a holiday. And one of the things that I ended up doing was sort of mocking something up. So I had an instructor at SVA, his name is Frank Young, and he 
would always tell us actually not to overthink and to just get right into it and start creating, get your scissors out, start creating. And I really channeled him during this because I can get paralyzed when the deadline is so close and you know we're, we were up against this holiday and I really <laughs> needed to spend time with my family and you know didn't want to work through the holiday, but this is an important book and everyone's really excited about it. And I was excited about it too. And so sometimes we have these parameters that end up inspiring us even more. And I had gotten scissors out to just mock something up. And what ended up happening were these like beautiful hand cut letter forms that were meant to just be a mock up that I had photographed and was able to get sort of the emphasis they wanted on the title, even though it was a long word and have these beautiful shadows kind of cast across the cover and really have a meaningful concept of these curling letters representing the theme of humiliation that was threaded throughout the stories. Each character was undergoing some form of humiliation. And Paulina really talked a lot about the body's reaction to humiliation. How does it manifest physically? And these letter forms ended up doing it for me. They showed how humiliation manifests in the body by curling into themselves. We did a blushed background kind of represent the blushing of the skin. And so the challenge of the deadline had me sort of like haphazardly cutting these letter forms. And it ended up being one of my favorite covers that I've ever designed. I just looked at it and it's so beautiful. And it's interesting too, that the solution to that came when you used your actual hands and it relates back to the kind of visceral feeling the author was trying to convey. To me, that is a form of slow storytelling. And I think it's such an interesting tension to kind of talk about making things, whether it's art or business in an age that is always kind of asking more of us and this constant stream of content and information that has kind of reshaped how we think about building something with longevity. And so with slow stories, you know, it came about for me at a time when I was really burnt out and needed to kind of take a step back and see my role in perpetuating some of these unrealistic standards is being a creator and a storyteller in this digital age. And that really led me to ask the question that's a mainstay on this podcast. And that question is, you know, what does slow content or storytelling mean to you? And how do you think about it in the context of your life and your work? Thank you for sharing about how slow stories came about for you. And I can really identify with those feelings. This opportunity to speak to you really came at this point in my life where I needed to let go of certain things that I was engaging in before, especially with social media. My husband and I had spent a few years, you know, we don't have children. We were somewhat on autopilot saying yes to everything professionally that we could. (laughs) And I was newly working at Catapult. That's been about three years that I've been there three, actually almost three and a half years. And Toomey and I had actually launched She Designs Books, which is a platform uh, of social media accounts that celebrate women in book design. And I was taking on freelance clients and I was trying to market and share my own work on social media because I'd made this transition over to Catapult and I was working on a, a lot more fiction than I was working on before. So I wanted to get my work out there. And I was also getting more involved in mentorship of others through She Designs Books and just personally on my own. And And then when I was diagnosed, there was this fear that if I let go of any of these things, like how would I keep up with this thing that has just never been sustainable, really? But if I let go of some of these things, you know, would I become invisible? And would everything that I worked so hard for vanish? And (laughs) there is no bigger lie than that. 
So I was kind of forced in a way to slow down. You know, there's been a real gift in being diagnosed with this cancer and um, to really look at what I value most. And again, what I wanted to spend my really precious, precious time with. So what slow content has meant for me and how I've been engaging with it lately is really letting go of these ideas and these pressures that really are made within myself, for instance, that I need to be posting a certain amount of work in order to stay as an active member of the design community, or that it needs to be a certain kind of work at a particular time of day. There are all of these rules put upon us within the world of digital connectivity these days. And so I've taken an almost full hiatus from a certain platform because the content especially over these past few months, was just not contributing to my own serenity and spiritual and emotional health. And uh, I check in once in a while, but I, I really pretty much stay off of it. And, you know, I value that kind of inner emotional health over whether I continue growing any kind of audience for my work, to be honest with you, because without that, there is no work. And I started really opening up my ideas of what I was sharing on the other platforms. I started asking more about what I could do to help others move through this time that we're living in and what was helping me most in my life during this time. And I started sharing a bit more about, you know, the thoroughfare of animals that roam through our property and spending much less time online than I was and more time with my family and my dog and in nature and I've just really taken a huge step back to be more present in my actual life than in my life on screen, because I really felt like I was almost being like bludgeoned by it and then like sort of bludgeoning myself <laughs> in the process. And I've had, you know, much more meaningful connections online, which is so interesting as a result over this past few months. And I have also received more client work than I had in the prior year which is really interesting because I'm actually marketing myself less online than I have over the past three years. And, you know, another thing that I'm thinking about here is, you know, I have a fairly new design team at Catapult. Lexi Earl joined us right before the pandemic. And Dana Lee is another designer who I hired. She joined in May. We were already working from home at that point. And I had spent a lot of time thinking about them and how to make sure we all felt connected as a team but also how they could feel connected to the company as a whole. And so we started meeting much more often um, during the week, and we started talking more about publishing. And then we started talking more about the lack of diversity in publishing and if there was anything we could do to make an impact there, even a small one. And, you know, I had this idea of offering this day with the art department, which would be focused on providing the IPOC people who maybe hadn't had an opportunity to get this much of an inside look into what working with a cover art department would look like and more. And my team just really hit the ground running and did amazing work and had such brilliant ideas. And we had this really deep and meaningful time planning it together and making decisions about how we could really make this feel intimate, despite it not being in person, but also harnessing the fact that it wasn't in person. So we could reach a wider audience who could attend no matter where they were located. So scheduling wise, this idea literally could not have come at a worse time for me with deadlines and the holidays and, you know, my health treatment. But mission wise, it was really the perfect moment to offer this. And I saw how much it had brought us together as a team and how it helped really build trust and intimacy there with these two women. 
and it was exquisite. You know, we ended up doing it. We had great engagement with the candidates. I mean, so much so that like at the end, we, we were all just sort of like sitting there, not wanting to leave the call. It was just such a, such a beautiful experience. And we received some really nice feedback. We're definitely going to offer this again. You know, going back to the question, just making decisions that were aligned with values and human connection during a time when it is needed most and just really focusing on, you know, how do we manage that time-wise so that we could do this at this very important time. You know, that was really helpful in planning it. And it was, you know, on the other side of it, it was absolutely the right choice. Yeah. So like really just trusting and giving myself what I need and what I thought you know, was needed in the world has rewarded me emotionally and professionally. You know, I hope I've made a better contribution to the world because of these kind of realignment or just not even realignment because the values were always there. It's just that sometimes we can lose focus on that hamster wheel. I've spent sort of the last few years being distracted more than anything else. And I think this year has really just reinforced the need to be discerning with how we spend our time because in reality, slowing down, it is a shift in pace, but it's also just acknowledging that you need to slow other or slow certain parts of your life down to make space for things like what you just mentioned, that wonderful initiative that might've kind of gotten pushed to the end of the to-do list, so to speak. So I think it's just kind of recalibrating what should be prioritized. And sometimes it might look a little bit busier, but I'm sure... One thing that I've learned about this time is that having these conversations inevitably opens up space for more pointed questions about how we live and work and create today. And so is there a particular question that you hope people start asking you more often as we collectively move through this time and as you kind of continue on your path, both personally and professionally? You know, maybe how has your life and your interests and your upbringing and your challenges and your hobbies contributed to your design life? Because like other art forms, it is so holistic and so informed by so much um, going on internally. And I really see design as a lifestyle. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. And these are the types of stories I love to hear because they get really at the heart of the designer themselves, instead of just talking about the technical skills, which are also interesting. But I really like to hear more about the sort of interior environment of designers and artists. And I also love questions about the cover design process itself, because it can be really quite beautiful and organic. But those questions are usually asked (laughs) of us. So I think just more about the life of the designer themselves. It's so individual to each person. And to follow up on that and if this is, you know, too personal, feel free to just say pass. But you kind of navigate a health challenge, you know, what stories would you like to see come out of this time in terms of our relationship with health? Because I think it's top of mind for everybody with the pandemic. But as somebody who's kind of going through something so singular, you know, what role can creative people play in telling stories that are in service of some of these experiences in a really productive and authentic way? It's a great question. I guess I am. <laughs> I am a bit part of the reason why I why I left a certain platform or why I just dip in once in a while is that I kind of got and I understand it, but I I kind of got a bit tired of just hearing people complaining. <laughs> 
about being home. And so I guess, you know, I would love to hear, I know for me, there's just been so much, I'm not happy about this pandemic or about any of the things, you know, any of these difficult, challenging things that are going on in the world right now. But I believe that there is a lot of good that can come out of these periods of time, you know, and I feel like so much of our talk has been about that. And I know for me, there's such a long list of beautiful, beautiful things that have occurred as a result of moving through physical challenges, learning really how to love myself more than I had in the past, letting myself slow down. What are the benefits of that? How has that shown up in your life and in your relationships? You know, I mean, my husband and I start our days with a fire eating breakfast across from each other, which was certainly not the case when we were living in Queens before the pandemic and before my diagnosis. And it's really in a way like changed my entire marriage for the better. And so I guess I'd love to hear, I just would love to hear those individual stories. How did it affect your life in a positive way? And not so much like, you know, I reorganized my whole house and I learned this great new skill, but like really on a deeper, more personal level, like what has changed? I remember at the start of this, I was talking to my mom, who's also walking through some really intense and serious health challenges. And we were dealing with, you know, I was living with them for a couple of months there and um, we were dealing with sanitizing everything and all of this. And, and I just turned to her at one point and said, you know, I just can't wait to see what happens in our friends' lives in the positive way on the other side of this, I think people are really going to change the way they live. And I want to hear those stories, you know, because I know it's completely changed the way we live. I mean, our lives look very, very different than, you know, on March 1st (laughs) than they do now. So I'd be interested in hearing more of those stories and less about the difficulties of, of living through this. It'll be interesting to kind of revisit this conversation to see what's changed on a collective level. And I think in order to really embrace everything and kind of rewrite this next chapter of our lives, a big part of that will be being discerning about how we spend our time both online and off. And we've spoken so much about this, but I think to kind of bring this entire conversation full circle, my last question is a really nice way, I think, to tie it all together. And that question is, why do you think slowing down our relationship to content will ultimately help us live, work, and feel better? You know, creating more space in the mind for those solitary moments of inspiration to come in by using these devices (laughs) as tools instead of as go-tos to get out of discomfort or to seek validation or just by impulse or addiction. I'm really looking at that, which is tricky because we're not connected to each other in person. Maybe phone use is being used more. I don't know. Um, But really creating more space in the mind for those moments of inspiration. And as it relates to design, there have always been design trends. I don't recall them being quite as sweeping as they are now. So I think more time with the actual content of the project can make for more unique design solutions and just greater creativity overall and more rewarding design experiences and and really personal growth as designers. And you can pretty much apply that to anything. I just think what the content that we're fed almost feels like we're forcibly fed it and it just can make things feel very homogenized you know and then you know just bringing it back to the people in our lives like more intimate connections to 
the people in your life, whether they are on your team, professionally, living in your household, because I believe that in the end, it is really these relationships and the collaboration in these deep and meaningful ways that make for a very rich life experience. So carving out time for that, for me, is definitely the most important thing in my life now. That was Nicole Caputo, creative director at Catapult and Counterpoint Press and co-founder of She Designs Books. You can follow Nicole's gorgeous work on social at NL Caputo and at She Designs Books. We'll also be sharing highlights from this episode at Slow Stories Official on Instagram and at Slow Stories Pod on Twitter. I'm Rachel Schwartzman and you've been listening to Slow Stories. Have a safe holiday and we'll see you in the new year.